Imagine a world you're thrilled to be living in. Imagine telling your children and your grandchildren that in this time and in this place, we came together. Imagine change unconstrained by our individual understandings of what is possible. This is all of us. On WNHH, New Haven's independent radio station, I'm Greg Grinberg. In our previous conversations, we've talked with a Yale professor of history and author, a Connecticut state senator, and two of New Haven's most impressive political activists. We've talked about climate change, an existential threat to all life on Earth. We've talked about powerful political institutions that have grown beyond our political control. We've talked about the challenges of being an endangered blue state that happens to be itself in the midst of a budgetary crisis. Today, we are having the most important conversation we have had yet on this show. It is a conversation that is indeed about all of us. It's a conversation about how we treat each other and how we value one another in the here and now as human beings sharing this city. Because if we get this right, there's little that we cannot accomplish together. And if we don't, there is little that we can. The challenges we face are far too formidable for us to pretend that we can take them on while undermining each other here at home. And each is an opportunity to move closer to the world we want to live in. And realizing that is up to all of us. Our guests today are Barbara Fair, a longtime advocate for justice reform in New Haven and founder of My Brother's Keeper. She is a longtime justice advocate, uh, advocate for justice reform, juvenile justice reform, homelessness, and the list goes on. She has worked at the national and state levels, and her daughter, Holly Tucker, joins us today as well. She has worked with Barbara for many years, uh, and we'll be telling her own story today. We were talking about policing and their efforts to reform it, and ultimately reinvent what policing is right here in New Haven. Barbara and Holly, thank you so much for being on the show and having this conversation with us. You're welcome. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much, Greg, um, for this opportunity to um, show what the media can do when they want the story to get out there. And we absolutely do. Thank you. So to start with, um, Barbara, I'd love to just kind of throw it to you. And if you could just kind of give the listeners a background on the work that you've been doing, um, you know, really your whole, your whole adult life. Yeah, it's pretty much uh, much of my life has been around criminal justice and uh, trying to bring humanity to the uh, prison system. But I've also worked around juvenile justice issues. Um, I've advocated for the homelessness. Um, the latest one has been um, um, ending the policy of radiant sexual workers in New Haven. But I've also been on the national, lab- um, the national level talking about things like uh, America drone attacks and, and the need to end all these wars. Absolutely. And you've been working at the national level and the state level and as well as the local level for some time. Yes. As far back as I can remember. <laughs> Absolutely. And Holly, could you could you do the same? Could you tell the viewer tell the listeners what your what your role has been in in, in your mom's work and also in your own work? Um well and following behind my mom, um well just I'm just a very compassionate person. Mm-hmm. Um so Whenever I see that there's injustices going on around the world, I'm just willing to be there um, to be of help and try to be a part of changing things. Um, yeah, and that's what I've been doing for the past maybe hmm, 15 years. Wow. And it certainly has been going on for that, for that long and much longer, the issues that we're talking about today. And yes. So- 
So to set the stage for what we're talking about today, I want to take our listeners back to uh, the Elevate Raid, um, which was well-publicized, unlike some of the similar things that have gone on that have gotten less publicity. Um, but I think a lot of the longtime New Haven residents who are listening to this program will remember um, that back in 2010, there was uh, an authorized um, police raid of a nightclub in New Haven um, in which um, semi-automatic weapons were deployed, not used, thankfully, but one student was tased at this party uh, that, 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 you know, that was being raided. And this was, a, uh, this was a situation that took over 13 months to resolve. And at the conclusion of that, I mean, and so, and so the, the, the chronology was basically that the officers involved were, were not charged. They were cleared of any wrongdoing um, by internal affairs, and they were not charged with any crimes. Meanwhile, uh, a number of students were charged, and it took 13 months for those charges to finally be dismissed, despite video evidence showing the officers provoking the student um, you know, who was, un- who was ultimately tased. Um, and the video doesn't show any kind of provocation on, on the part of the student. And so the, there was the, the hope, as, ex- as expressed in uh, an article in the Yale Daily News published in early 2012, was that the, the legacy of that incident would be that it wouldn't happen again, that nothing like that would happen again, and that, uh, that we would see um, uh, a, a turn to what Gary Winfield, when he was on the show, State Senator Gary Winfield, when he was on the show uh, two weeks ago, talked uh, about it, he referred to it as, uh, as respectful policing. In other words, a step beyond so-called community policing and uh, toward, uh, toward service policing, respectful policing. Um, you know, one, you know a, a type of policing that is very conscious of the fact that the community is, is paying for the officers to be on the streets and that the officers ultimately work for the community. Um, and now, of course, we're in this room not just because of the amazing work that you've been doing um, as, as longtime advocates, but because, because, because it, it is not the case that these reforms have happened. And in fact, you have personally experienced that. So I'd like to give you a chance to tell your story of what happened yes. um, and, and what's, what is continuing to go on now. Okay. Um, so on September 10th, I was... Um, pulled well followed by a few officers um, after they were directing traffic from on Fox and Boulevard on Fox and Boulevard from McDonald's. There were drag racers inside of McDonald's mm-hmm. parking lot. So they were directing them out. There was an officer in front of my car um, directing traffic. Once he walked away, I proceeded to drive. Um, another squad car came on the side of me, asked, did I not see them directing traffic? I told her I didn't see her directing traffic. I saw the other officer that was in front of me directing traffic. Once he walked away, all the cars were out of the parking lot. I proceeded to drive away. Um, After that interaction, I noticed they followed, you know, once we, once I proceeded to drive away, they followed me um, for maybe about a half a mile. Once I noticed them, I pulled into a gas station. Um, So getting out of my gas, out of my car to walk into the gas station, I noticed an officer, Jennifer McDermott, um, and exiting her squad car. She started to take a video of my license plate with her personal cell phone. So I started to record, well, I was recording her at this time. Um, then she turned to me as I'm walking to my car and she told me that she will give me a verbal warning for disobeying an officer's traffic signal um, back at McDonald's. 
And I said, I didn't disobey an officer's traffic signal. And, you know, um, I thought the officer was done. So I proceeded to drive away. Um, in a matter of maybe two minutes, she then asked for my license and registration. Um, I, I asked her why. Um, she said, because I disobeyed an officer's signal. And then, then I said, you gave me a verbal warning. So, and you didn't pull me over back there. So I'm, right. I don't understand. Um, so this quickly escalated. Um, once I got into my car to get my license and registration for her, I cracked my window. She asked me to roll my window compl- all the way down. And I told her this is the legal limit to give you my information, um, which I gave her my information. Everything was up to date. Um, and then she came back to my car asking, you know, have I been drinking? Um, have I been smoking? I answered no to both questions. Um, she asked my passenger the same questions. He answered no. It um, then went from, you know, get out of your car um, to another officer um, walking on the beside of Jennifer McDermott, with, which his name is Robert Stratton. He began to pry down my window with his, you know, with his hands. And at this time, I'm still recording. So Jennifer McDermott, she pushes, she hits my phone out of my hand. Mm. Um, at this time, there's a third officer on the passenger side, and he's telling my passenger to open the window or he's going to, I mean, open, unlock the doors or he will um, bust the window and take him down for interfering. So he unlocked the doors. Um, so at this time, the other two officers at the driver's side window, they're still trying to get into my car. Um, so they get my window halfway down. One officer grabs my left arm, twisting it and holding on tightly. And then the other officer grabs my other arm. At the same time, they're holding my arms. They're asking me, to, they're screaming, unlock the door. And I'm like, how am I going to unlock the door if you have my arms? Mm. Um, once the other officer, the third officer unlocks the door, Stratton then reaches in with his other arm. He unlocks the door, opens my door, takes my seatbelt off, pulls me out of the car, pushes me up against my car, foot swipes me to the ground in a dress. Um, and once I'm up, they put the handcuffs on me. They walk me over to the squad car. Um, they put me in, close the door. Then they go back to my car and they're searching my car. Um, so then um, I think I missed something. Um, I think what's important that you uh, failed to mention was they never say you were under arrest or anything. Yeah, I was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So at the time when I'm in the back seat, she comes, McDermott comes over to me and she asks, do I want to take my pocketbook with me? Or do I want to leave it in the car? And I said, why are you asking me that? You just told me you're going to give me a citation. Mm-hmm. Um, so after, you know, the two officers have some conversation, then she comes back and, um, you know, and she tells me that she's taking me downtown. Um, so. So never reads you your rights or anything like that. She never read me my rights. Um, never told me I was getting arrested until I was in the back of the squad car, you know, and after they search in my car and having some type of conversation about me because Robert Stratton knows of me because I took him to court two months prior to this um, incident happening um, over a stop, a stop sign ticket. I mean, yeah, I didn't stop at the stop sign, so I got a ticket. Um, 
So once Jennifer McDermott's talking to him, she comes back to me and she says, um, you know, you hurt my finger and I know you like to take people to court. Mm. So at this moment, that's when things changed and I'm getting arrested and, you know. So so you had the feeling that they, that they were targeting you. Yes, very much. Because what? once once um, Officer Robert Stratton seen my face, mm-hmm. things just escalated. Mm-hmm. And she never they never asked her boyfriend to get out the car. Mm-hmm. So if if there's some kind of crime, you don't just tell the the uh, person to get out the car. You would want anybody out the car if you're going to search the car and there's some kind of crime that you think they've committed. Right. So obviously they wanted her. Right. I mean, and just just the, the 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 mental scene here is crazy. I mean, you were talking about people who have guns and badges, you know, who are supposed to be working to um, generally protect the public's safety, uh, and you know, and so and so we're talking about people who are who are um, trained to do serious physical damage, um, doing so, and and that 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 some of the motivation that they express to you is that is that they they resented something that you did in the past, right. Yeah. Something that you were perfectly entitled to do, by the way. Right. You know. And you see how little she is. Mm-hmm. Their policy is you use the amount of force that is necessary. You have this man, if you could see the video, we, we won't be showing it until after the trial, of course. Right. And, but, and, and but just to jump video, in. Right. Just, and that, that, that's, I just wanted to you know, jump in and, and say that you know, for the context, there, there is a video yes. that exists. And, 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 and what does it show? It, it actually shows mm-hmm. my daughter being dragged out the car. It shows Stratton pressing her window down. And then once... The, he gets the window down and they're able to drag her out the car. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, you could see how, with the brute force that he was putting behind it, it was so mm-hmm. unnecessary for somebody that's that little with, mm-hmm. with, with three officers. Right. So after he, you know, he did all that and you see her on the ground and you're, and you're thinking, wait a minute, this was a motor vehicle. How did it get here? Right. I mean, you, you, you know, you hear about how, you know, the goal should be to deescalate right conflicts just in general in mm-hmm. life you know mm-hmm. in everything and they're know. trained according to the chief they're trained to de-escalate right and what and what is this scenario that, that you've described other than a, a pure a pure escalation yeah. yeah so so now so you have this so, so this video exists thankfully mm-hmm. that shows everything that happened and then you have you have your video before that, that you took before the officer knocked it out of your hand right you know right. which is which is itself really troubling that you know to interfere with collection of evidence is a crime as far as i'm under as far as i understand it right. um so um so this is so now so here you um so now here you are and let, let's talk about what's happened since because i think that that's um as as troubling as all of this is and it it's it, it, it troubling is not even the word for it it's disgusting but but what happens next seems even worse to me because it's because now it's it's you know it's it's the it's the light of day everything is sort of you know we, you know we, you know one one day is sort of following the other and systematically you haven't been able to um get any kind of redress of grievances here so so let's talk about what happens next here like what, what let's talk about what happened after this event um well after the event the next morning i went directly um to internal affairs and I filed a complaint um, and I didn't hear anything from them for about a month and a half. Um, But I continued to follow up. I had, you know, protests to try to get them to hear me and 
um, just acknowledge what has happened. And I didn't get that. So it's like over and over, I'm just feeling disrespected um, by the police, um, which I still feel that way, you know, to to be dragged out of a car and have blood clots in my arms for three weeks, you know, um, that's, that's just hard for me to deal with. You know, it would and, be hard for anybody to deal with. Right, right. And and then just to be pushed pushed away, you know, and, and they don't want they don't want to hear my story. They don't want anyone else to hear my story. Um and I, it's just I don't know, it's just gonna continue to happen, you know, if if not you know, if the mayor doesn't do anything, if the chief doesn't do anything, what are what are we the people in the community supposed to do when having to deal with police officers every day. Right. Absolutely. And we actually asked for a meeting with the mayor right after this. We, uh, we asked for a meeting with the police chief first, and then we uh, asked for a, um, a meeting with the mayor. Um, a couple of times the meetings were canceled and she finally met with us um, last Friday. week mm-hmm. after almost three Two months ago that this happened. Mm-hmm. And so when she came into the room, I asked her, had she seen the video of my daughter getting dragged from the car? Because I said, if you saw the video, there's no way in the world you can justify that brute behavior from those officers. She said, oh, I didn't get to see it because my computer's been broke. Now, the chief said he gave her the video over two weeks ago. Right. So the city has this video in its possession. And they've had it over two weeks. Right. And the plan is for the mayor to see it. Yes. And then the mayor doesn't see it at your meeting. Right. And so what happens at the meeting? What ha- what happened well, then? Well, she said she didn't see it. So right away, you know, that was a stab to the heart right there. Because you don't even care what's happening to my daughter. And it's been almost three months. And so... um so then I looked, you know, for the chief. Okay, I said, well, I'll see how the, what the chief is going to say about this. And he, we had this long conversation about, you know, their order, their policies and discretion and all that kind of thing. But long story short, um, I said to him, I said, you saw the video. Mm-hmm. How do you justify what they did to my daughter? Mm-hmm. And he said, well, it's about complying when officers. When officers ask you to do something, you have to comply. I said, but... It wasn't like she was resisting arrest because no one ever told her she was under arrest. They never said anything to her except get out the car. And the next thing there, she's getting dragged out. And, she, and in the video, you can hear her pleading with them. Stop. Why are you doing this? What are you doing? Because mm-hmm. she has no idea what's happened except that she's getting dragged out of her car. And right. we all see how these incidents have turned deadly around the nation. So she's scared to death what's going to happen. And he, so he looks at me. He said, well... um, I'm sorry. I know the video looked bad, but you have to comply. If the officer says do something, you have to do it. I said, so we don't even have uh, a right to ask, ask a question like, like she was asking, like, what are you doing? What, what is this for? We don't even have that right. And he replied, no, when the officer says something, we have to comply. And if we have a problem, then we come back to the police department and we see what happens at the police department. They're always justified. Right. So it's literally, literally the answer is let's, let's blame the victim. Yeah. Yeah. It's her fault because when they said, get out the car, she didn't just run right out the car. Right. She wanted to question why. Right. I mean, and I've said this before on the show and I'll probably say it many times um, that as the, as the grandson of Holocaust survivors and as the relative of some, some family members who did not survive, um, I, um, I take it very seriously when someone wearing a uniform and 
having a gun in their possession uh, abuses their power mm-hmm. and attempts to justify it by saying that you did something wrong. Um, you know, and this case is so clear cut. It's, you know, the, the story that you're telling is that somehow um, a, a verbal warning for a questionable at best, very minor traffic thing somehow, um, you know, some, somehow turns into this somehow escalates to this um, where they're using physical force on you, um, a member of our community, you know, and, 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 you know, and, and when we, you know, we talk about this community being a family, you know, that this is, you know, and, and I mean, I think, I think very seriously about all the challenges that we're facing as a society and how we need to be working. To, we, 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 like it's, these are, we've never had a problem as big as climate change. Just then that's one problem. Never mind wealth inequality. And I mean, I could just keep listing them. And so the idea that we can, that we can undermine each other in this way, you know, is, is that, that it's it just, that's the, I mean, it, it's horrifying on its face and then it's horrifying the digger, the, the deeper you go, the deeper you dig, it's, it's. And, and it was more- just, for me, it was so cold and unfeeling to just sit there and say, you have to comply. It's the law. And he says something about he, he um, made a pledge to um, uphold the constitution of the United States. And I, and I'm, I said to him, um, so just the fact that you say it's law means we need to do it. I mean, like slavery was law. Right. Uh, Jim Crow was law. Right. The war on drugs is war. So you're just saying we're all supposed to just comply to whatever because it's law as opposed to questioning that law when you're when you're starting then to to hurt human beings. Right. I mean, ex- exactly. I mean, the you know, first of all, I mean, there's you know, there, there's basic human decency. And that's what we as a community are entitled to stand up and demand from our from our mayoral administration in this city. And we're also entitled to demand it from our state government as well. And I think that what is required, and I mean, clearly, clearly looking back at the Elevate case, I mean, the Elevate case, the, the sort of the, the concluding remarks in that, in that Yale Daily News article that I mentioned was, were that it expressed hope that with a new police chief, which at the time was incoming chief Esserman, this would not happen. And that the, the, the kind of these kinds of um, these kinds of shifts of responsibility wouldn't happen. These kinds of um, de- deflection of of police responsibility would not happen anymore. And now Esserman's out. We've gone through an entire you know an entire tenure of, of a chief, and um, and and we haven't seen a change. Um, and so so clearly this problem has has it has long preexisted um, Mayor Harp's administration, but. She is the mayor. She has inherited this problem. And we as the community, it, you know, it, we need to decide we're, we're done being patient. Mm-hmm. We want real reforms. So let's talk about what those reforms look like, because I know that there's a lot on the table. Um, but I want to start with you um, and what you, what you both see as the reforms. For me, basic, it's just basic human decency. Mm-hmm. You treat human beings like they're people. Right. Um, to to brutalize someone like this and, and somehow feel that you can justify it. I don't care what, the, what, it, even though it wasn't, you know, this was just a motor vehicle, but even if it was something more serious, is this the kind of policing we want where we just drag people out of their car and brutalize them and then turn around and blame them. And, and so for me, it begins with just human decency. Yes. We have policies in place that need to change because those policies are the things that gave them the latitude to do what they wanted to do. Mm-hmm. 
because the policy says that they could have used discretion right. in her case, but they don't have to. So as long as you have that, that in there, then that's what they do. I want to read you a little bit about the criteria that they could have used as part of their policy that they could have used in my daughter's case. And so these are what with this document that you're that you're reading. Let's just um, this is the general order five one under police uh, arrest procedures for the, for the city of New Haven. For the city Department. of New Haven. Okay. Yes, it said alternatives to arrest may be used when they will suffice as well or better than arrest. Officers should consider the following when considering an alternative to an arrest, and it's five things: the degree and severity of the offense, the motor vehicle. Mm-hmm. Risk that the suspect will commit another crime. Sure. It wasn't even a crime. Right. Um, right. Past criminal history of the suspect. She has none. Right. Age and condition right. of the suspect. And then the, the last one is risk of further danger. Right. Now, if if these things fit a, a, a suspect, you have the, you have a policy that says you can give them a citation. Right. But as long as they have that word discretion. Right. Then they can give me a pop, give me uh give I'll say you. Right. They can give you sure uh citation right. and they can drag me from my car it or or even kill me. Right. Because the policy goes as far as deadly force. Right. And they have the discretion to use it. Right. So number one has to change is first of all, we have to stop leaving that discretion in because yes. that's why we have a lot of uh, subjective, uh, selective enforcement of the law, selective justice, because we leave things to people's discretion. Yes. There has to be a policy that states if these three, five things apply, mm-hmm. that person gets a citation, whether you like their attitude or not. Right. So that's the, the one thing that needs to change right away. Exactly. So we're talking about two different kinds of discretion. I mean, I think that's that's a key realization right. here is that there's the, there's the discretion to uh, to do less than what the letter of the law says, you know, in other words, you know, you, you know, maybe someone, you know, they, they committed a motor vehicle infraction, but, you know, they clearly they didn't mean to, you know, you know, and, and so you decide in that moment to do to do less and not give them a ticket or something. That's that's that seems sort of like the good side of discretion, right. you know, the, the, the de-escalation side of discretion. You know, what is the minimal thing that I need to do in responding to this to, um, you know, to, to, to serve the public's interest? Um, and um and, and to respect and to respect that this person who I'm interacting with is a member of the public. Um, and then there's the other side of discretion, which is the discretion to, to, to do more, to do to, to use more force, to mm-hmm. do more damage, to, uh, you know, to 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 make your point in a mm-hmm. in a violent way. Right. Um, and that is in that, that. And that is the dark side of discretion. And right. that's clearly problematic. And you know? that's the discretion they use with her. That we're going to use more force. We're going to make a point. We don't we're like her attitude. You who's in control. Absolutely. You know, I mean, and, and we're not talking about something that's hypothetical here. You know, it, it's certainly not to me. I mean, when when I so so over um, a few months ago, I um, was uh, driving on the highway and got pulled over um, by um, unmarked police vehicle. Um, and when um, he approached the vehicle, he said that, you know, he, he was you know, he was quite professional um, and polite and mm. said that the reason that he was pulling me over today is that my my registration on the vehicle that I was driving was was had lapsed. The registration wasn't renewed. And I was surprised. And, you know, the and the, and the vehicle wasn't mine, actually. Um, so I, and I was and, and knowing the person whose vehicle this is, I was I was surprised that the um, that the that, the, that this did happen, but but also not completely shocked because you know it's a, he's a busy guy and maybe he just forgot to right. to re-register so you know so i of course apologized and, and took out my phone and said you know I, I can re-register it you know 
for him right here on the spot. I'll just, you know, pay the registration fee and sort it out later. Um, and, um, and, and he said, you know, well, here's the thing. What, what I could do is take the plates off your car, tow the car, leave you by the side of the road, mm. and you can walk to some place where then you can catch an Uber and get where you need to go. That sounds typical in our community. Right. You know, I could do that. Mm -hmm. But what? I like to think that I'm a nice guy. That's a verbatim quote. And <laughs> you seem like a nice guy. So what I'm going to do here is I'm going to give you a ticket for driving um, with a vehicle without the registration. And you can and, and then, you know, you can get it registered or whatever. And but you can go on your way and you mm -hmm. can you can go out to Rhode Island and enjoy the weekend like mm -hmm. you were planning to do. That's right. You know, and and when when he said this to me, I you know it was a really you know it was one of those moments that really sticks with you because looking into looking at this guy and 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 really feeling what what he was feeling, I I believe that he believes that he is a nice guy doing what he's supposed to do, mm -hmm. um, and I really questioned in that moment if the color of my skin had been different. Um, or if he had been in a bad mood, or if I hadn't been in a bad mood, right. you know, would I have been standing by the side of the road, you know, um, or a lot worse because we know, because you, because you, you were telling us how quickly these situations can escalate mm -hmm. because of this dark side of discretion. So this is not, this is not hypothetical to me. This is, this is real. And, and I, and I, and I, you know, I really wanted to, um, you know, I, I, I regretted not getting the officer's name after this because I really would have liked to have had this conversation with him too um, today about, you know, what does it mean when he says to me, you seem like a nice guy. He said, you seem like a nice, hardworking guy mm. just trying to get out to Rhode Island for the weekend. He, he gathered all that from what? From what exactly? <laughs> from looking at me? From, from talking to me for two seconds? Mm. I mean... Um, and I think that that is something that that's a, that's a part of of privilege that privileged groups think that as long as you go around and you're nice and you're polite and you're just, you know, generally like, you know, an effusive, happy, bubbly person, nothing bad can ever happen to you. And that they think that's true for everybody. Right. That's not true. You know, that's not that's not why that's not the sum total of the reason why he decided to not take the place. And, and, and the question to me, I actually called called a friend of mine who who is a lawyer and I asked him, is it true that he could take the plates off the car, and then he, and then he, the guy, he, the, he just completed the thought and said, "Yeah, yeah, yeah," and leave mm -hmm. you by the side of the road. That that is that is a thing they can do. They can just do that. And I think, Why? Because you the same thing to me before. You know, because so they've literally they've pulled the plates off your car. They pulled the plates off my car, and I had to. I was only maybe two blocks from my house. Good God! Because um, because you forget to pay an eighty dollar bill. Right. I mean, you know, you you forget to pay the cable bill. They 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 call you like five or six times mm -hmm. they send you a thing in the mail they probably email you too you know then maybe yeah. maybe the next month maybe they shut your cable off yeah and then you then you pay the bill and they turn it right back on mm -hmm. you know that's called criminalizing poverty that's I mean, right someone may not have had the money to buy to buy mm -hmm. to pay for their registration right then and there right does that mean that they should have to suffer this much because of it right i mean it's criminalizing poverty it's criminalizing add mm -hmm. it's criminalizing being very busy it's criminalizing you know it's criminalizing life yeah we're talking about criminalizing life and this is part of a broader pattern that i think is emerging that you know it, and it started i mean it, i think that the national dialogue really um you know got turned up in volume on this topic with ferguson um and but what we're seeing is that this is um the, there there there's a pattern of municipalities trying to raise money um, and states trying to raise money 
by um by other means other than taxation by quote-unquote revenue Mm -hmm. which means things like monetizing parking Mm -hmm. which means like charging fees for services but it also means charging it also means fines right um and um and as you've pointed out it also means collecting um uh collecting um money from people who have been incarcerated to pay for their incarceration right so people would be surprised as once you've been incarcerated they actually send you a bill Right. Uh, or put a lien a against your, yeah, put a lien against your social security number. So, you know, to pay for your incarceration, like you was on vacation or something. Right. Like you didn't pay with your life and being in, in a cage that wasn't enough payment. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, and I, and I think to myself, you know, when I think about when, if, if I heed my own words, you know, when I open up the show and I imagine a world that I'm thrilled to be living in. In that world, incarceration is a tool of last resort. Mm-hmm. You know? And it's not about retribution. It's about this is a dangerous person. The society needs to be protected. From, right. You know? And I am convinced, based on a modern understanding of, the, of behavioral psychology, and I'm not a behavioral psychologist, but I, I'm aware of the existence of modern behavioral psychology. Right. Um, I'm convinced that, that there are, that there is in, in every, that in, in, in almost every case, when they're when we're not talking about somebody who's dangerous, there is a better choice than 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 locking this person up. You know, uh, it, it, which is you know, one of the most violent things you can do mm-hmm. to someone, and and the and and evidence on exactly how damaging it is. Yeah, to put is, someone in a cage. Just imagine they don't. They'll say use the word cell right. because it sounds nicer, but they're putting the people in a steel cage. Right. Uh, if you don't think that's going to damage a human being, right. I, I, I think you're clueless. Exactly, and it fundamentally undermines the point that you brought up, which is, you know, before we were talking, before we even started talking about the different types of discretion, we started talking about basic human decency. Mm-hmm. You know, which is, which is, I've been putting it on this show and and in in political activities, um, you know, in my entire life. What I, I I sort of put it this way: that I believe that every single person is a human being of infinite, inherent, immutable value, and that's where it starts. Exactly. And if you think it's okay to to bully people and to beat them up and to throw them into a cell, that's not the idea that's being promoted right. by that. That's not the idea that we all that we all live with, you know. And so, you know, I think I think a lot about how um, you know, there's one part of my brain that's really reactionary. When I hear a story like this, there's a part of my brain that wants to use the same tools that 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 modern policing uses against those police you know it makes me want criminal charges to be filed it makes me want to call the governor's office and ask him to appoint a special prosecutor to go after these people arrest them jail them charge them with a crime and jail them i mean because we're talking about um you know we're talking about people who have been charged to uphold not only the constitution, but also, I mean, they are here for the public interest. And when they bully people in that name, in, in, in our name, that's, you know, that, that's beyond, it's assaulting someone. That's horrible. Um, but as I read it, it you know, it's, it, it's, it's the word treason comes to mind too, because you're, they, they're acting against the interest of the state that they're, that they're, that they're, that they are sworn to, um, One of the first serve. things, uh, when you talk about uh, humanity, one of the first organizations I was a part of was when I was a teenager, and it was called Citizens for Humanizing Criminal Justice. 
And one of the first policies we were able to pass was um, to allow family members to come. Uh, we had trailers on the prison ground mm -hmm. and it allowed your family to come up and spend the weekend with you. This is before prisons became an industry. Right. This is what we have. So we have so many prisons now, I think like about 20 in, in mm -hmm. Connecticut alone. Right. That we can no longer afford for people to be human beings and keep their families together. Now it's a business. Right. And we, you know, I read about Ferguson and I thought at the time, well, you know, thankfully I can be, I can be proud of the steps that we've, that we've taken in Connecticut. But actually when I, the more that I learn about what's going on here, right, right here at home, I don't feel like our plate's clean. No, I, I, well, mm -hmm. people say, uh, well, Ferguson, we're not Ferguson. Yes, we are Ferguson. If you look at all the different things that the people in Ferguson were going through, the same things are happening in, in New Haven, Connecticut. Right. So we are Ferguson. I'm, I, I guess they think we have to have someone has to get killed. I mean, people have died. Right. But of course, they're always justified. One that has never left my mind was um, maybe about pr probably less than 10 years ago. This elder was killed in the elderly building by mm -hmm. a rookie who had just been he was moving into their building. He hadn't even been there two days. Mm -hmm. And he got in the elevator with an elder person with a dog. And, and no, the, the policeman had the dog. The elder said, I'm afraid of dogs. And, you know, being who he is, he decides he's going to get in the elevator anyway. The elevator goes up. Two minutes later, it comes down and the man's laying on the floor dead. And they claim he, he pulled a knife on them. I have never, ever believed that story. Right. And, of course, a dead man can't tell the truth. Right. They got they found a knife, no fingerprints on it, but yet he pulled a knife on him. Right. But, you know, a lot of people, I guess, they feel like there's no win with the police, and so they don't complain because I don't know why that family did not follow up on that. But that that thing has never left my heart. I mean, here you've lived to be an elder, right? And this young kid can just come in within a matter of ten minutes and just take your life, and nothing's done. They're right. exonerated. It's 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 horrifying. And that officer you know? still works in the police department, right? I mean, and and I grew up with um the the phrase "never again," you know, um and uh, you know, in, in, in relation to the Holocaust. Right. Um, and, and what I've, what I've interpreted that to mean is never again to anyone ever in any circumstance, mm. in any, and, and not to any degree, not, not, you know, whether, you know, so that, no, it is, it, it is horrifying. It is happening here. And so, and so to sort of, to bring it back full circle, um, what I'm most amazed by in, in hearing the story is that is actually what you said when we were, when we were taking the elevator up to the, to the station here that for you, it's not, you're not interested in, in seeing these officers go to jail mm -hmm. or anything like that. And that reminds me that, 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 that reminds me of the, the better part of myself, not, not the reactionary part of myself that I described before that wants the old kind of justice to deal with the old kinds of injustice. But the better part of myself that recognizes that when I say that I believe every, every person is a human being of infinite, inherent, immutable value, I, I even mean those officers too. Yeah, and that's the hardest part of this. I even mean the people who aren't upholding the value of other human beings that they that they have value too, and that the and the 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 answer to this is 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 not their answers. The answers that the tools that they're working with are the are the are, are the scalpels and leeches that the medical profession had two hundred years ago and has now moved on from. Right, and, and the reason I don't blame officers is because I know it's this culture of policing. It's the system that allows these officers to do the things they do and probably have those kind of expectations. So I don't look at them as, as, as the, the bad guy. I look at the system as the bad guy. 
And that system that has a foundation of white supremacy and black inferiority. And unless we change that, I don't care who's the chief is. Right. Nothing changes. I mean, nothing changed with the uh, um, assistant chief. Well, chief now, interim chief Campbell. Nothing changed when he got in office because right. it was him, a black man who sat there and told me that my daughter has to comply or the bruises that she had on her arms visible three months later. Right. The clots over her arm, the therapy she's had to go through, it's all her fault. Right. Because she didn't comply. That was a black man that said that. Wow. So that's why I said it's not the person. It's about the system. It was the system that allowed this, this officer to be as brutal as he was to my daughter and think nothing of it. Right. And it's the system that allowed those other officers to to sit down and come up with a story to justify that. And they supported each other. So that's what has to go. Absolutely. Absolutely. That this is this is absolutely a systemic issue. I mean, and, and that's and that's inc- that's incredible clarity. I mean, I just I I don't think that I would be. I'm not sure that I would be saying something like that if I were in your position, um, in either of your positions. And I really admire that. And, you know, so I was at uh, an event on um, uh, last week, uh, Tuesday last week, and it was um, the um, CEIO, which is an organization in Hampton, which stands for Co-Creating Effective and Inclusive Organizations. And unfortunately, that does not tell you what they do at all. Uh, <laughs> And um, but th- I was at one of their events, which is called the Deeper Change Forum, which is an all day event. And um, one of the um, things that this and, and so this is this is anyone can go to these, by the way, this is and I think that's and that's going to be important, an important point to come back to. But the absolutely anyone is welcome at these at these forums. And so this was a, this was a group of self-selected yes but otherwise i mean you know it, it, it's a it's a group of people congregating in new haven connecticut maybe you know i mean i'm sorry in hamden connecticut and it was you know maybe 50 75 something like that and the, that david was actually over 100 was it were, were, that's, yeah. that's fantastic i, I remember yeah. from the groups when they grouped us out right by five groups and it was 12 different groups so that's how i knew it was over that absolutely yeah. i mean and so we were both there right and and we saw that one of the one of the um uh parts of the event there that we were it, rather than a show of hands they asked for something much more powerful than a show of hands right. they asked to divide into sort of two groups two random groups it didn't really matter and just sort of across stand across the room from one another and instead of raise your hand if you've ever whatever um it they asked us to walk across the room if we had ever experienced what they what they were talking about and they and they they there were a number of things that they covered like did you were you ever worried about having enough food to eat as a child and you know walk across the room if that's true and you see the and you see these faces and and they're not necessarily the faces that you expect to see all the stereotypes are broken you realize that the stereotypes just have don't have a whole lot of basis in fact and that it really confounds expectations about who is experienced what and you know it it makes you think that as you you you're walking by these people and then it's the sort of same experience of walking down the street and you you walk past someone on the street and you realize that that person may have experienced something you just you completely wouldn't expect but the part that the part of this that was most telling to me at least as it relates to this conversation and this is actually captured on video and you can see that video if you if you go to whatnow.community um which is a, it's a website www.whatnow.community um, and you can see that video there. Um, what there were there were there were two questions. The first was walk across the room if you feel safe with a police presence, and you see 
maybe three or four people walk across the room, you know, then the, then it's walk across the room if you do feel unsafe, if you actually feel unsafe um, when there's a police presence and you see almost everyone crossing the room, yes. you know, looking in each other's eyes saying, oh, wow, you feel that way too. You know, I, I thought I was the only one. I mean, like personally, I, I didn't, I had no idea that, that this was... That, that, that so many people feel the same way that I do, that I, as a white person, feel less safe when there's, a, when there's police around than when there's no police around. And, and, and yeah, I mean, I've been, I've been very fortunate in so many ways in, you know, in my life. Like, I've never been mugged. I've never been, you know, I've never had a violent crime committed against me. I've had, you know, property stolen. So was basically everybody, you know, it's, it's life, right? Like, we live in a community, right? right. And that, that's going to happen. <laughs> um, you know, because the community, the community has, you know, people are, some people are growing up and, you know, you know what I mean? Some people are kids. They, you know, they steal something that, you know, it's, it's, it happens. Right. And so, but I've never been, I've never had a violent crime committed against me. Um, and I've had a lot of good interactions with police officers, but I've had some bad ones too. And those are the ones that stand out that are, that, that color my experience. And you know what, if, if I can walk down the street and I know that something like this so, that, 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 that something like this could potentially happen to me, but it's much more likely to happen to you. I don't feel safe. I don't feel safer in knowing of that because what happens to you, it does happen to me in a very literal way, you yeah. know? Um, and, and knowing that, you know, the, the interaction that I'm exper- that I'm, that I'm witnessing, you know, um, is, um, is probably deeply unfair on, on so many levels. Um, it doesn't make me feel safe. It doesn't make me feel safer to see, six white cops arresting a black person and putting them in this big wagon on the green. You know, I, I have no idea what this person did, but they certainly don't look like they've done anything violent or unsafe, you know? Right. So, 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 so the, the point that I'm trying to get back to here is that, you know, when, when something like this happens, you know, you can, you can look at that in at, at this, this deeper change form video. And I really do encourage people who are listening to this to, to go to whatnow.community and see that video because it's, it's really powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you can, you can, you can say, well, maybe that's just a self-selected group and not everybody feels that way. Okay, maybe. But what that means is that there is a, there is a group of people who bothered to get together in Hamden because they do feel that way. And that's a significant piece of the population. And that it, it, for, for any significant piece of the population to feel unsafe because there are police around that says we have a problem. Now, if, you know? if, if that group of people had been just black and brown people or right. just young people, then you would think, oh, well, you know, that's expected. But like you said, when you have a group of black, white, Hispanics, young, middle-aged, elders, professionals, non-professionals, and for that's a very diverse group. Mm-hmm. And to have them come up and say that, right? it's telling. It's really telling. It's really telling. And I mean, in, in my mind, it... it in my mind, it doesn't matter whether it's, you know, whether it's, it's, it's one whether it's a subgroup of people or whether it's everyone, you know, who feels that way, but it's, it certainly is like, it's, it's astounding that we've let this problem get so out of control that, 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 that it seems like everybody feels that way or, you know, that a lot of people do anyway. And so the point that I'm trying to to come back to is that, is that regardless of whether you think this is, you know, a subgroup of people or it's the, the majority of people who feel this way, police officers are welcome at this event. You know, it's not, this is not like the let's, let's all gang up on the police, you know, meeting. This right. is, this is, this is co-creating effective and inclusive organizations, deeper change forum, you know, a, a change so significant that we um, can't imagine returning to the state that we were in when we walked into the room in the morning. I mean, 
And it's about looking at ourselves, looking at our inner selves. Right. That You know, those unconscious um, beliefs and, and core values that we may have that we don't even realize how they impact how we interact with other people. Absolutely. So so certainly inviting, uh, you know, that's that's something that I'd like to work on personally is inviting police officers to come to these events and and hear you know, how other people feel and, 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 and exactly as you said, to investigate, kind of to dig deep within themselves as well, just, just as we do, to sort of do the same work that we're doing together. The other thing is that, so in the, in the, in the five minutes or so left that we have on this show today, I want to just, you know, again, talk about kind of the enumerate the, the, look, what else, what else is happening? So for example, I know that there is an effort underway to, uh, to create a civilian review board, which I believe would have subpoena power, um, in cases where the where there's there's an alleged abuse of police power, and and so in your so in your case it was it was the case that you complained to the Internal Affairs yes. Division, right, yes. which is a branch of the police department itself. Yes. So it's like the fox guarding the hen house, or in some way, it's like right. you know. Right. And part of the process that I didn't talk about that I felt was so unfair is that she gave her information right up front. Mm -hmm. It was after constant protests at the police department internal affairs that the police officers actually gave their statements. And it was almost three months later that they gave their statement and they gave it after they viewed my daughter's statement and my daughter's video. Right. So they had the opportunity to come together, look at her video and create a story that can somehow justify what they did. Right. That was part of the process. And that policy and that process has to change. Absolutely. Because it makes it very unfair. And they and they actually went. Uh, so you, and, and you were saying that that um, there were there were officers who were making a point of asking for the evidence that you had. The in, in this case, this video. Yes. They were they they were they they were they they repeatedly asked you for that. They almost demanded. They said without it, they couldn't really do anything. The they didn't have any. You know, they were going to close the case if she didn't give it up. Wow. Our attorney didn't want her to give it up. Mm-hmm. I certainly didn't, and I told them mm-hmm. so that I didn't trust them, that I feel if they see the video, they're going to create a story around it. Right. And that's exactly what happened. They had the video, they had her statement, and then two and a half months later, they end up giving a statement. Right. So the way that, so the way the process works, basically, they're saying, okay, you give us all the evidence that you have, right. then we're going to come we back. Give you a statement. Right. With, with our statements. And, you know, and, we're, and, and, you know, after we've had a chance to make sure that our statements kind of match up with yeah. everything that's They've on They've had the... two and a half months to get it all together. Right. And one of the ways that... The chief um, said that came up with his who was more credible is that there were three police officers against my daughter and her boyfriend. Oh, OK. So that 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 proves that they were telling the truth. And what I it don't was know, three of them. And what I don't understand how they are so credible when they gave t- two separate stories. Right. You allow them to wait a whole two and a half months. Right. And, and allow them to give another another story. Right. And it's it doesn't even say the same thing as the first story they gave. Exactly. You know, so. So it, it certainly seems to me that one thing that we need, I mean, we, we, we need many things here. We need to look at discretion and we need to really examine what, examine what discretion means. We need, we need fundamental cultural change, which comes down to what you're talking about, about human decency, mm-hmm. valuing every single human being. And not just saying that and putting it up but on really posters. Really meaning it and doing you know, it. Right. Having police officers come and attend events at organizations like CEIO that are doing, that are doing the work of changing culture. They, they know how to do this work and they're, they're engaged in it professionally. We know how to do it. That's, you know, and we should avail ourselves mm-hmm. of that. And do it because they want to, not because they're mandated. Right. Right. I mean, that's, that's, that's important. I mean, it's because that's embodying the principles that, that, you know, that, that, 
that you're trying to cultivate in the first place and being deeply consistent. Um, but it's, and it also seems to me though, that, 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 that another really important pillar here is that we need a civilian review board who can subpoena the officers and demand a statement, um, right at, right away. I mean, without, right. without a two month delay. Right. You know? Now, do you think our union's going to allow that? Because for me, the police union is like the the biggest, baddest gang in America. Mm-hmm. And to me, they, they inhibit the uh, possibility of, of change. Right. But you know, you know who's bigger and badder? Who? <laughs> All of us. Oh, you know? oh yeah, I believe yeah. that. But right. people in the community got to believe that, too. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, and so and so this story isn't over. And definitely not. You know, and and you are being very unfairly at the moment dragged through the justice system because they're they're continuing to charge you with mm-hmm. these right so i'm can, it seems like i'm just going over i'm getting beat again you know assaulted again i'm going through this all over Absolutely. you know what they wanted yeah. her to do was take excel no yeah accelerated, accelerated re- rehabilitation which you know you're still it's, saying that you did something wrong but right most people because you don't have to go to jail or anything, and they'll clean your record. They'll go ahead and, and say, "Yeah, okay." Right. But my daughter said, "No, just... they assaulted me, right. right?" And I'm not going to plead guilty and say I right. did something wrong. So we're going to go to trial. Exactly. So after that is resolved, after that trial's over, your plan is to release this video, which shows yes. what happened. Because I would like to see those officers prosecuted, as I would have been if I had to beat up my daughter. Mm-hmm. I'd like to see them prosecuted. Jail time is not a part of that prosecution, but they need to pay. They need to be some kind of consequence when you brutalize our citizens. Absolutely. I mean, it's one thing to say we don't want, you know, we don't believe in incarceration as a tool. Um, that doesn't mean that we think that those people should necessarily be walking down the street with a badge and a gun. Right. right. Yeah. Ready to right. brutalize another person. Because, right. you know, 18 months ago, they assaulted a 15 year old. Right. And the mayor didn't do anything about that. And that's why this happened. Absolutely. So I'm I'm personally really looking forward to um, to seeing that the video released and to uh, to organizing a campaign where we demand the reforms that we need here. Um, so the story the story is not over. Unfortunately, we're being dragged through a really long process where you can't release the video until right. until the, the you know that that legal process is over. That's part of the problem too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um and that and, and this is something that we really have to confront at a state and local level as well. Right. You know. Um, but now's the time we're energized. We're united as a community, at least much more than we have been in the past because of this, because of the presidential election. Now's the time to clean up our own plate here in Connecticut and get it right. And thank you so much for being bigger and badder than the local media around here <laughs> who refuse to tell our story. Right, thank you so much. Right back at you. You've been doing this work much longer than I have. And it's, it's an honor to have you on the show. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Next week, we will have Matt Nemerson on the show. We'll be talking about economic development and equity and economic development. And we'll also have Vishal Patel from the Happiness Lab. Um, and we'll be talking about economic development on a small scale. Thanks so much for joining us. This is all of us on WNHH, New Haven's independent radio station.